Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 2001 film Spirited Away. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. Thanks. Uh, Barrett, we've we've been off for a few weeks, so I had a chance to watch this movie uh, several times. Um, it's something I I I keep going back to because I I I just want to I want to go back to it and I want to take it in and I see it differently each time that I see it. So. Um, I'm very excited. I'm also very nervous to talk about this because mostly because I want to, I want to get it right. I like not in terms of explaining the movie, but I want to do a good job, I guess is what I want to, what I want to do. And my hope is that by the end of this, whether we do a good job or not, that someone like Haku will come to us kind of like when, um, Chihiro is crossing the bridge and she doesn't quite make it across with holding her breath, but he says, you still did a good job, right? We may not make it across, but hopefully we, we will still have done a good job. Uh, what, what is your history with this? With, let's just start with this film and then we'll go backwards and think about Miyazaki. Yeah. By, by, by the time this film came out, I was already familiar with Miyazaki. So I'm pretty sure I must've seen it in, in the theater, uh, when it, when it came out, um, so it's been, and I, I know that I watched it at least once again after that. And then of course, most recently. So I've been, I've, it's a film I've known for quite a while. Yeah. I remember when this won the, this won the second ever best animated feature Oscar. Right. The best, yeah, the second, but the first ever hand-drawn foreign language uh, mm-hmm. animated film Oscar. So Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I remember, I remember people talking about the significance of Miyazaki winning this, and it was not a name that I knew, but I, I remember, I probably watched that Oscars, and I, and I think remember seeing clips from it, and then I had not seen anything from him uh, until last fall. Um, mm. One of my favorite uh, film podcasts called Blank Check, they did a whole series on Miyazaki. So I listened to all of those and mm. the more they talked about it, the more I'm like, why am I not watching these movies? These, these all sound so strange and so amazing. And like the exact kind of thing I want where you enter into a world and kind of anything can happen. Um, so then I, I watched, um, uh, I watched a few, I watched this, I watched Howl's Moving Castle. And then a few months ago, I watched The Wind Rises. So those are the only Miyazaki films that, that I've seen. Um, where did this start for you? How did you, how did you first learn about him? You know, where did, where did you start watching him? Yeah. You know, I'm trying to remember Sam, because, um, I, I read a very interesting article, uh, BBC culture has some interesting, uh, film articles. I read an interesting article just the other day about the release of princess Mononoke, um, in 1997, which was the first collaboration between Disney and, and, um, and Miyazaki's, uh, studio Ghibli. Um, and, it, it, it the release didn't go well and there were a number of reasons why it didn't go well but that was the first Miyazaki I was aware of and so my son who is a knows more about Miyazaki than I than I've who's forgotten more about Miyazaki <laughs> than I know um I mentioned I sent that article to him and he said well how was it dad that you knew enough about Princess Mononoke to take us to see it in 1997 and I said I have no idea um I can only assume that you know I read New York Times film reviews I can only assume I saw a review and said this is something we need to take take notice of so then from Princess Mononoke, I just kind of worked my way backwards. Um, so I've seen, I've seen almost everything beginning with Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. Um, so I was kind of primed by the time Spirited Away came out, uh, which was his next thing after Princess Mononoke. 
So do you, and I, I haven't seen anything before Spirit Away. I've only seen the things after. Um, do you remember the first time when, and I'll describe what I mean. I'll, I'll describe what it was for me. And then maybe this will help like where there's a, I mean, there's a lot of magic to the stuff that he, that, that he does. But I, so the first thing I saw of his was Howl's Moving Castle and mm-hmm. it starts off and it seems, you know, relatively normal and um, really beautiful to look at. And then there's this moment where these like kind of balloony sludge monsters appear. And I just thought, Oh no, I don't know. I don't, I actually don't have a category for what I'm looking at. And that was the first moment where I was like, any, anything can happen now. Yes. Like, like uh, I thought, I thought, I thought there were bounds on the world that I was, that I had entered and it turns out there wasn't. And then it just kept going. Do you remember the first feeling of that? Oh yeah. Like, I, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, uh, there's a scene in princess Mononoke. I can't remember how early on it is, but all of a sudden these weird little, spirits show up and and they tilt their heads and then their heads kind of snap back and make kind of a rattling sound and it's like i i don't yeah exact exact thing that you described sam like i don't know what they are i don't don't know what they mean i don't know what they represent but but you're right in this world anything can happen it's like the it's it's like in, in in spirited away when the little dust balls are throwing the coal into the fire you know, I, I first saw that and I thought, oh, they're animated pieces of coal. Uh, almost, and, and then I realized, no, they're actually being carried and tossed. Yeah, it's like, it's exactly right. Any, but even though, okay, here's the weird thing about this world. Even though anything can happen, it does seem to have some kind of weird internal logic that you don't exactly know what it is. So it's like, okay, I guess the logic is these are spirits. So they can show up in any kind of shape or form. Uh, and that's sort of the rule that governs the weirdness of what might happen. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think this is a movie full of rules. It's just you learn them and you learn that they may or may not always apply and no, and you don't learn them all. And sometimes somebody will just say something as a matter of fact, and you realize, Oh, I guess that's a rule now too. You know, even when, um, when she first meets Haku and he says, you have to get, get back across the river before the sun goes down and it's like, okay, I guess that's a rule, right? Like, I didn't, I don't know what that means. I don't know why. And then the bridge thing is a rule, and I don't know why that is. And then you learn there's a rule about that they have to give you a job if you if you keep asking for a job, and if you have a job, they can like like you you're learning about those things, but nobody's explaining why those are rules or the logic of the rules to say, well, why is it that if you have a job, they can't they can't get rid of you? Like 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 what is it about that? And I and I. I actually really love, I love that it has boundaries, but it doesn't tell you what they are. And those boundaries might be more permeable than we think. Well, you know, in terms of narrative construction, what I would say about that, Sam, is that, uh, and this is typical of pretty much all of Miyazaki's films, there's not, there's not exposition. You know, you know in other words, he, he doesn't kind of lay things out for you. You have to explore it and discover it in the same way that the characters do. Uh, and so, and, and, and that's the way we often experience life, right? I mean, I mean, nobody really sits you down and says, okay, here, here's the situation. Here's where you are. You know, here's the context. Here's what's going to happen next. Um, and I just, I just love that about the films because it's, it's a much, it creates a much deeper experience for the, for the audience. Uh, and, and it really puts you in the position of being active uh, observers and active participants. Um, so as you've seen this film multiple times, 
the first time I the first time I watched it, I was just sort of overcome by trying to take it all in. And it was interesting watching it subsequent times where it's like, okay, I know now I know Haku is the river and I know this and I know this. And it was so interesting to me to see little pieces that are there in the very beginning of the movie. Things get said that I had, like, I was shocked to hear um, when Haku says almost one of the first things he says to uh, Chihiro is, Oh, I've known you for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's like that. If I noticed that the first time I watched it, it just seemed like this thing that somebody said, like it didn't seem to carry any meaning. And then you watch it a second time and, and you were like, Oh, he's, he's actually laying out something. He doesn't know how he knows her, but he knows that he knows her, you know, in this kind you know, and, 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 and you know why, because you've, you've made it through this, this journey. Are there things that jump out at you as you think about watching this a second time or a third time? Yeah. I, I think the thing that, that jumped more out at me this time is, um, you know, Miyazaki is a director known for his environmental concerns and the environmental theme is extremely strong in Princess Mononoke. I mean, that's, it's really kind of an ecological uh, film. And my first experience of Spirited Away, I was much more focused on the characters and Chihiro's uh, growth and, and, and journey. And this time around, I felt like I paid a lot more attention and noticed how much more this was also about what human beings were doing to the environment and how the environment was affecting the spirit world that we are, uh, that modern people, this is true of modern Japanese, Miyazaki has pointed this out, that they don't seem to care anymore about these old traditions or these old reverence for nature and a concern for nature. And and for Miyazaki, it's nature um, in and of itself. Nature is a thing that is that is simply uh, a realm that is valuable, whether or not we, uh, not for our use and certainly not for our abuse, but simply for our reverence i guess you could almost say and that was a lot clearer to me this time and then how the theme of consumerism and capitalism is actually kind of um is more is more strongly present than i, than I realized like the you know the lust for gold uh within the bathhouse when no face is able to create gold i mean that kind of aligns the characters in in the bathhouse with uh, with Chihiro's parents uh, in terms of being kind of cons- literal consumers as they turn into pigs. So th- those two elements came out a lot more strongly to me the second time, third time around. Yeah, it's interesting with the environmental thing. I noticed um, the, and this is only on second viewing, that where the uh, the river would have been in the amusement park, the father says, oh, they looks like they were going to put a river here. <laughs> Mm. Not, not, not realizing there was a river here is what it was like, like, like he's not even understanding what was, he was thinking about, well, all of this is a thing human beings construct, you know, you know, so, 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 so so even like, like that sort of of turn of phrase was, um, was very interesting to me. Um, I think the, the consumer thing, one of the first things that I noticed, this was the first time I watched the movie is you know it starts and the family's driving in the car and I remember thinking how weird it was that it's an Audi that yes. this is an animated film why do we have a such clearly a logo and and a logo that if I'm thinking about an Audi in Japan they make lots of cars in Japan there's lots of Japanese automakers like what is the meaning of this like ger- like German luxury car in Japan and what does that indicate in the fact that they didn't just make it a generic you know, nice sedan, but it's specifically this 
uh, it's it's one of the first things you see on the screen, and it tells you something right from the jump. Exactly. You know, so yeah, as I, as I already indicated a few minutes ago, Miyazaki is making a comment on consumerism. He's, he's also making a comment on a Japanese society. You know, Japan had that incredible boom in the 80s, and then they had a kind of a collapse in, in, in the 90s. And this film is kind of a comment on uh, the, the question for the Japanese of, well, what what are you going to now make of what it means to be Japanese? What, what is it that you want this culture to be about? And so Miyazaki is contrasting those modern consumerist um, values, if you can call it that, with some more kind of traditional values. And the father, of course, is completely obliv oblivious to that. Um, the, the other way this comes out is I love it when they're, when they're looking at all the food. And, uh, and he, says to, he says to his daughter, um, don't worry, daddy's here. I've got cash and credit. And, and, it's, and that, that to me just encapsulates what this, what he and, and uh, to a certain extent, his wife actually kind of represent. Well, and I have to say that line hit me hard. I was watching this uh, both times I watched it. I watched it with my daughter, who's not 10, but she's not far. I mean, she's was 14 and then 15 when we watched it. And I, I hated the fact that I could relate to the parents at that point. Of like, oh yeah, like I know that feeling of saying to my daughter, like, don't worry, I can afford this or this, yeah. and it's just like, oh, oh, that like that that felt like a slap in the face to me, and I wondered, like, well, how does my daughter view that same scene? Because I'm, I am begrudgingly relating to the parents, like I want to relate to Chihiro, but it's like I'm, I have to, I have to dig a little deeper into myself to do that, and I do do it. The movie does pull that you know, pull that into you. But like, this is a movie. I mean, he, Miyazaki consciously talked about, like he wanted to make this movie for 10 year old girls. Yes. It said yeah. like, I had made movies for younger children. I'd made movies for older teens, but specifically he was saying, I want to make a movie for 10 year old girls. Cause it, apparently there was a place where he vacationed with, with friends and they had, mm -hmm. I had a 10 year old daughter and he was watching her and right. was like, I need to tell this person something. So he makes a masterpiece to do it. Like it's, 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 it's really, it's really, really interesting how um, in some ways being conscious of the fact that this is not targeted at me at the same time, it is because it contains multitudes. And I also have, you know, a 10 year old girl in me somewhere, you know, yes. that, and it's like, and this, this, eventually gets you to access that but it has to strip away some of those things or has to make you aware of some of those things that you need to dig a little bit deeper into well you know one of miyazaki's strengths i think is that careful examination of human nature um he's very he's very concrete and specific in the way he creates characters and he's actually criticized other animators who he says i don't think they actually look at human beings i don't think they really pay attention to human beings and i think he just he beautifully captures um, how powerless and voiceless you can feel as a child, especially as a young girl, you know, because she's the voice, she's the voice of reason. I mean, she's right. They shouldn't go in there. They shouldn't eat that food. And she just gets, you know, kind of brushed aside. And that's exactly, it's exactly the way these things actually happen. And so one of the things I really like about Miyazaki is that, and this is actually in my mind, Shakespearean, because in the same way that Shakespeare creates these very specific characters, these very specific domestic situations in something like, say, King Lear. At the same time, it's got this kind of epic scope. 
And so we can talk about, you know, Miyazaki making comments on ecology, making comments on consumerism, making comments on Japanese identity. But at the same time, it's a very specific story about a very interesting little girl and a whole bunch of really well-defined characters. And to me, that's, that's a sign of a great work of art when you can talk about these big ideas, but at the same time, you've got these very human dramas going on. And that's, and that's what he achieves. And I think, to anticipate something you wanted to talk about, Sam, I think that's one reason why his films in, in particular and Japanese animation in general was such a revelation to, to American audiences. Because even though, you know, we go to animated films with our kids and we go to Disney films and Pixar films and whatever, there's always this thought that, yeah, it's really for kids. And then they're kind of like Warner Brothers cartoons. They throw in some jokes for adults that are going to go over the kids' heads, but the adults will get it. And that's why we're there. Um, I think Pixar has been a little more ambitious than that. But I don't think anybody's on the American side has really achieved, you know, what... Um, what Miyazaki is doing. Maybe a film like The Iron Giant comes closest. Um, but this this is a film that is be, ideally both for kids and for adults. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, it challenges you to come to it as a child, regardless of, of, of who you are, that, 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 that instead of saying, like, we're going to compartmentalize, like you're saying, you know, jokes over here that are almost meta commentaries on the thing to be like, oh, look, we're aware that there are adults watching this. This has no interest in that, but but it does it does pull you, the part of you that connects to Chihiro. It 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 kind of at least for me it pulls that out of me, um, and challenges me to think about how much um, growing up has changed that person, or at least built a bunch of stuff around that that person, um, because this is a story that's about Chihiro to some extent learning about the fact that she's on the precipice of adulthood, but it also, the movie does not end with her like dramatically changed and is now an adult. I mean, it, he does this mirroring when they're walking back through the tunnel and it's the same, it's the, she and the mother have the same conversation about like, don't hold on too tight. You know, you're going to make me trip. It's like, it's like things have changed, but things have not entirely changed, Uh, but but she's a little different. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, Sam, because somewhere I read Miyazaki talks about the fact that um, what's happened is that the resources that are already within her have been brought out, which, which was not exactly the way I thought about this moment first. I thought about it more about Chihiro changing and maturing, but Miyazaki would say, no, she's, she already has this capacity. She just doesn't know that she has it. And so these experiences enable her to kind of bring forth those things that she hasn't otherwise had it had an opportunity to reveal. So I, so I love the, I have to go to the end of the film for that because I, lo- I love it when the father says, you know, new school, you know, new, new neighborhood, those are scary. And she says, I think I can handle it. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I think that's the perfect, that's the perfect ending to the film because she doesn't have to grow beyond her 10 year old years to handle it. She just has to realize the resources that she as a 10 year old already has. Right. And you think about that line and think about how different she appears in the beginning of the movie when she's in the car. I mean, she's yeah. uh, again, again, yeah. if I'm viewing this through the eyes of a parent, I've had those conversations with my kids where it's like, come on, like, 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 like she's, 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 she's not like a bad kid, but she's also not um, 
<laughs> not a perfect child. She's she kind of whiny and, yeah. you know, and, 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 and you get it because the, she's getting ripped away from where she lived. But at the same time there, you know, yeah, she, she has matured in a kind of way, but like you said, like, like, like she's sort of come to an understanding more, but doesn't, but is not a dramatically different person, but, but, but those experiences have affected her. Yeah, because well, and I think maybe it's a small, maybe it's a little detail, but even the little detail, like you know, the mother says, "Oh, you know, you've you've crushed the bouquet or whatever," you know, your her carelessness. Um, yeah, I, I think you know the, the the things that she that she draws on during her experience, um, they're ordinary things, right? Just just caring for other people, like the uh, you know she she cares for the river spirit because she she wants to serve the customer well. Um, she cares for, she, she notices people. So when she, you know, yes, she lets no face in, which she shouldn't have done, but she was trying to be nice to him. She assumed he was a customer and he wanted it. He wanted to come in. And, and how, so, how could she not have, I mean, how, like everybody else that looks like him is coming in. Like, like yeah, that's right. exactly. I, I mean, I, I, I thought she was doing the right thing because I forgot what happened later on. Um, but you know, what she's doing is, I mean, think about the things they tell 10 year old kids, right? Be polite to people. Be nice to people. Take care of people. If you see somebody in trouble, help them out. And and ten year old kids uh, develop relationships. Where they, they if they love somebody, they act out of love. And look at the way she acts out of love. So that to me is another thing that Miyazaki does. This is not this is not a superhero. He's she's showing us what ordinary human beings are actually capable of. Um, and it does set him apart from some of the other Ghibli animators um, uh, in, in that he's a little more uh, optimistic at times about about human nature. Well, it's uh, interesting because because one of the things that I loved about this story and it, I mean, you can think about uh, lots of lots of um, versions of even really great children's stories is they often center around a protagonist who comes to understand that they are special, that mm -hmm. they are a chosen one, or they are the magical child, or they are the child who survived, you know, like, like the Harry Potter story or something, right? Like, right. like you are special. She is a child who happened to come here. Like she's not, I mean, they don't treat her like she's special. And if they do, they treat her like she's special in a bad way. Yeah. You know, like, like yeah. you're a human. What are you doing here? You smell bad. You know, these types of things. And, and there's never this un. the only thing that makes her special is that she has a relationship with this river spirit that goes back to an event in her past. Other than that, she's, she doesn't have special powers that she needs that, 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 that she comes to realize or, or something like that. Um, you know, where it makes it different than, you know, things I thought about, I mean, this is obviously this has echoes or, and I don't mean echoes, like it is drawing from these things, but, but it's, it's hard to watch this and not think about Alice in Wonderland or the wizard of Oz or mm -hmm. Pinocchio or Willy Wonka or something, yeah, you know, yeah, where yeah. it's like going into this, but in, in a lot of those, I mean, think about the wizard of Oz, the second Dorothy gets to Oz, everyone's telling her about how great and important she is. You know, like, like Chihiro has the opposite experience, Yeah. you know, she meets Haku, who is very enigmatic through most of this movie. He seems very helpful and to care for her. But then the first fact we're told about him by another character is don't trust him. Yes. And I remember the first time I watched it, I thought maybe I, I, Lynn seems to know what she's talking about. Maybe we shouldn't trust Haku. I had up till this point and it, it, it worried me through most of the movie. Like, is he going to? 
turn into something else. Mm-hmm. He does turn into something else, but it turns out that, uh, that that's not the best advice to not trust him, you know? Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's and, okay. That's, and that's another great characteristic of the Miyazaki film. And that is, um, he has no, um, black and white, uh, heroes and, and, and villains. I mean, he, I mean, he, even, even you, Baba, even you, Baba, isn't entirely bad because you see how she dotes on on the baby, and so the the ambiguity he's willing to introduce in the character of Haku, I think it's a, it's a very important way of representing the world to kids. You know, I realize that you know kids often you know sometimes with kids you can't be too subtle about certain things. You got to be really clear about you know this is right and this is wrong, but if you think that's only the way the world works, you're going to be in bad shape because things are in fact ambiguous. And so I love the fact that Haku, the nature of Haku is something that is um, problematized for Chihiro. And she kind of has to make her way through that because yeah, she's been told not to trust him, but then she has these actual experiences with him in which he seems to be quite, quite trustworthy. And he's already given her a clue to this, right? Because when they're uh, right after she gets the job, and she calls him Haiku, and she says, and he says, "Address me as Lord Haku." And she's starting to figure out, oh, there's a there's different sides to this to this character. Um, and so I think that's that that's really um, I mean, that that really deepens the the emotional impact. Yeah, and I love as she gets further into, and we we've touched on this a little bit as she gets further into the life of the bathhouse and continues to face rules and tests that she needs to overcome i love that they are none of them are about being perfect that 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 like we said the first couple you see she fails she doesn't get across the river she doesn't get across the bridge but the message is not catastrophe comes because you didn't get across the bridge it's just like okay well you did a you did a really good job you almost made it now let's keep going let's think about what the next thing we need to do is you know, and, and maybe had you made it, we the, the story goes in a different direction, but the story still continues, even though you didn't you weren't perfect in this in this test and in this trial. So they are about trying and about learning, not about showing your ability to pass every test perfectly. It also it's funny, Sam, it also makes me think about Miyazaki's uh, filmmaking method, which is he generally doesn't start out with a complete script. He generally just storyboards it as he goes along. So it's almost like this. That's the way he makes the film. Let's let's go this direction and see how 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 that works out. Um, and it all, yeah, it all it also shows her a very important lesson, which um, is difficult, especially for today's youth in some ways. And that is, it's okay to fail. That failure doesn't mean uh, everything is lost. It just means now you've got a different situation that you need that you need to deal with. And failure, of course, develops resourcefulness, right? You don't know something's not going to work until you try it. And if it doesn't work, now you try something different. So, so she's learning that lesson as well, that it's okay to try and fail. And I think that's how her, her bravery develops. She, she, she goes more and more brave as the physically and emotionally as the film goes along. Another thing I love about this movie, um, even though it has these sort of tests and barriers and things she needs to navigate and sometimes overcome, this is not a movie that feels like so many movies, I would say from 1977 on that feels like reverse engineering, Joseph Campbell. Oh yeah. You know, where, where it's like, now, now this actually, I'm a, I'm actually a big Joseph Campbell fan. I love hero thousand faces. A great book. Um, this, you can mask on 
because I think there is power to that monomyth idea. You can mask some of that stuff onto it, sure. but this is clearly not written to say, all right, what's the first step? We need to do this. We need, right. you know, so this actually, I think, I don't know. I think Campbell would have loved something like this because this actually proves that it's like, there is something to the, the universality of these stories. But the point of the things Campbell's pointing to is not that they are these clean hitting beat by beat by beat, but they share There is this thing that that shared. So this feels like it's tapping into what Campbell's talking about, not tapping into Campbell, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think yeah, I, I, and I, and you you use that uh, maybe sometimes dreaded word universality, but I think that's exactly right, Sam. Because I think you know one of the concerns with um, with Miyazaki's films is they are deeply Japanese, and, and sometimes there's a fear that audiences won't get it because they don't get you know there's a lot of Shintoism in here with uh, the whole spirit world, the kami's. You know those are th- those are very much Japanese. There's there's some inside jokes that Americans don't get because. Um, when Chihiro is wandering among the shops, uh, the abandoned shops, they actually have very kind of strange names on them. Uh, it doesn't say opticians, it says eyeballs. And some of the shop signs say ghosts and some say meat. And so these are things that only Japanese viewers are going to pick up on. So the, the, so the film inevitably has cultural specificity. But you're right, it, it, is, it is tapping into something kind of universal. I kept thinking about uh, Greek myth, Eurydice and Orpheus, you know, don't, don't look back. Uh, myths in which you know you go into the underworld and if you eat anything there then you're stuck there uh and i love the way the film plays with that in two different ways right the parents eat the food so they turn into pigs but if she doesn't eat what haku gives her she's going to disappear altogether um yeah so that stuff is there but i think as you're suggesting it's there quite organically you don't feel as though i mean i know that George Lucas for Star Wars did a little bit of a paint by numbers with 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 the monomyth, right? I mean, here here's what I need to do. Here's what I need to. Here's what I need to That's do. why I said 1977. <laughs> yeah, I know you did. I know this exactly why you said that. Um, but I don't think I, I don't think that Miyazaki works that way. I mean, the, the, from what I've read about Miyazaki, he what he does just happens organically, which then I guess shows you the insight, you know, the depth of Joseph Campbell's insight with the myth of the hero. Um, so anyway, yeah. So I think that's why we can watch this. But there's other things as well what we already talked about right i mean families are families you know as tolstoy said um and you know a 10 year old girl's relationship to her parents in japan eh, it's it's a lot like what we experience in, in our in our culture and i think that's one of the things that's powerful about this movie is that it does show that this thing you can you can you can transport these things so this is this is a, a extremely popular movie in in japan obviously i think it it in 2019, it was finally passed as the highest grossing film in Japan. But yeah, um, but that this is was sort of wildly successful in other in other areas too. you know, uh, globally, wild, wildly successful. So it, it can sort of port to those other things. Yeah, it, um, won, the, it won the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival for best film. Yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> one of the the interesting ideas in this and I'm, I'm curious your thoughts about how this ties into this sort of living in this state between childhood and adulthood is the significance of having a job um i love the boiler room scene i love uh, uh kanji as a character um and you know and, and they're told you know you need to ask him for you need to go there you need to ask him for a job and you just need to keep asking until he gives you one and at first he's just you know kind of dismissive of her because he's this fascinating creature who seems scary but the more you get to know him and this is true of a lot of Miyazaki characters the more you get to know him you realize well he's actually a lot of things he is maybe (laughs) scary at first but 
you know, first he's kind of dismissive of her. And then there's that great moment where she picks up the, the lump of coal, mm. the one, the one soot creature. And he, she, she's not sure what to do with it. And he turns to her and the first thing he says is finish what you started. Hugh. Yes. So if you're going to, yes. if you're going to do a job, do it. <laughs> yep. But then there, he, he, you know, the, the movie illustrates that now she has taught these soot creatures the wrong lesson taught that if you <laughs> show yourself to be helpless, someone will come and do this for this. I felt like this is such a teacher thing, right? It's like, okay, if you, if you, uh, I always tell tutors this, like when you ask a question, don't or let silence just sit there. Cause if you, if you follow your instinct of being afraid of silence and you just give the answer, you're now teaching the students to never answer your questions because yes, they'll just provide. Right. And it's sort of a version of that. It's like, you have just taught them this. So then he's like, you know, you can't just go and take someone else's job. Having a job is important. Finish what you started, but also you can't do like, you can't upset the ecosystem of this, this boiler room world. I, there's something just mesmerizing about, that scene and the the sort of little world that that kanji rules over in the world that he creates there yeah and he uh yeah he becomes kind of a, a father a kind of uncle uncle figure for her and it's also interesting to me sam that that those other relationships develop right by by the end she calls zaniba uh granny and she even calls you baba granny at, at the at the end right so it's like she's she's creating a family here and maybe that's because they're identical to each other but really you baba's turned out I wouldn't say that she's not all bad, but she's turned out to be a little better than you thought she was. The other thing I love about her work, though, is, you know, then you have the scene where she's scrubbing the floor with the other girls. And she obviously is not very she's she's, she's pretty inept at this. And so the implication might be not only is she only 10 years old, but maybe she's a little spoiled. When you think back to the idea that she was riding in that Audi, you know, maybe she's one of those kids that sort of had everything handed to her. Um, and you know, and she's a little inept in the bath at first, but then, but then she kind of gets the hang of it and, and actually becomes, uh, she actually, uh, she actually develops her agency. And so she actually becomes quite good at her job and becomes a, uh, actually for a while anyway, a benefactor to, to, to the bathhouse. So she is special, but she doesn't, she's not special when she first arrives, she develops that specialness because she proves, she proves her mettle uh, mm -hmm. along the way. Well, and then thinking of working in the bathhouse, you have the, I mean, there's a couple great set pieces in the bathhouse, the, the, uh, the stink spirit being one of them. Um, and that, cause that's this great moment where you see, you know, Yubaba has kind of only been this scary thing, but you also see her as she's also the proprietor of the bath bathhouse. And she's like, okay, well, we got to figure this out. Um, and there is this, this phenomenal cathartic moment when, when she pulls the, um, you know, what she thinks is the thorn out and every, not, not only does she pull it up, but everybody gets involved. This is not Arthur pulling the sword out of the stone. This is everybody. They tie a rope around it and they, and at first it's a bike and then it's these other things. And it's, yes. it's, this movie has three purging scenes in it, Yes, you know, and, and there is something so oddly, like, so, uh, something that feels so good about watching those scenes, about watching that, that what they think is the stink spirit kind of, actually get purged of all this human junk that has been polluting the river and is, is sort of purified in that, um, in that moment. And then she, and then she gets this, uh, what she gets in payment is this, this thing, which is unclear at first what it is. And it becomes this, uh, very important thing. Cause she, she sees mm -hmm. this as this thing, which is going to save her parents, but she ends up having to use it 
in in you know for on on um, on No Face and uh, Haku to uh, prompt their purgings as well. The, the, the other obvious reference I got out of that scene, of course, is Androcles and the lion, um, you know, pulling the thorn. Oh, the thorn the yeah. Um, and it just made me think about how um, I, I mean, uh, it's a bit of a cliche, I suppose. I don't think that all children are instinctively uh, sympathetic, but I think there is an element of sympathy, of a kind of instinctive sympathy that she extends uh, to the stink spirit uh, to no face, uh, to Haku. Although of course, by that time, it's really, it's really actually love that she has, but this, uh, the, a, a generosity that she has. And one of the things I also want to point out about her kind of goes back to the theme of, of greed and it ties into the bathhouse is when no face gives her all the bath tokens, that's, she wants those because those will help her do her job, but she turns down the gold every, every time, every time he tries to give her gold, she says she's not interested in that. And I think that does a really nice job of tying back to that theme of greed with her parents and even greed with you, Baba, because at the end, all that gold just turns to mud. And so it's interesting to me that even in the spirit world, Miyazaki sees these misplaced values. Um, and she ha also helps to reveal the, the, the limitations of the poverty of that kind of uh, value. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, <clears throat> um, so let's maybe think about No Face a little bit in terms of what he potentially represents, because he is. What's interesting is is he becomes this thing when he go when he gets into the bathhouse and he seems to like take on the um, values or personalities of the things he absorbs. So he when he eats the frog, he starts to talk. He starts to talk like the frog. Yeah, starts like he sort of absorbed, but. But initially, when we meet him, he is not that creature. He seems to want connection or yeah. love or something like that. And then, but but he sort he is sort of taught or absorbs the wrong lessons. He absorbs, oh, people want gold, people want this, mm -hmm. and you give them this for for so so. I mean, what do you? Th I, I love the character of No Face. I find him mysterious, and especially the first couple times he appears, you just see him amongst the other spirits and then you see him on the bridge when she when she crosses yeah, it the yeah. one time but it's like 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 what what do you make of that of that character well I think, I think there's a couple things going on with no face one is the really obvious one that he's yet another critique of consumerism um that he in some ways he's no face because he has no fixed identity because he has no connection but he also has no sense of of meaning and so he tries to fill himself literally with anything he can consume. So at one level, I think he's just a critique of, of that kind of empty consumerism. At another, at another level, as his name suggests, he's, he's anybody who has nobody to care for him. Mm. He, doesn't have, he doesn't have an identity until he has a relationship. And so Chihiro creates a relationship with him. And that, begins to, that, that helps to create a structure of meaning, of meaning for him. Uh, you know, it may be that if she had taken his gift of gold early on, maybe he wouldn't have turned to what he did, but she can't, she can't have a relationship based on that. Um, and so when he ends up at the end, he actually ends up with a useful job and a relationship that sustains him. Now he's still no face, but at least he has some kind of sense of purpose. So I, I think, he, I think he's just anybody who is kind of an outcast, anybody who doesn't, or just anybody who doesn't have a clear sense of who they are and what they want to do. And there's something great about the uh, 
what I'll call voice acting of, you know, but when he's not talking, the sound that he makes, it just mm. sounds, it sounds like this, like, it's hard to describe. It's, 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 it's somebody who's like just making this small little sound that is desiring for, for to get, it's the kind of sound that a small child or a puppy might make to sort of get yeah. your attention. Um, and it's, it, that's really well done. And there's, there's something that uh, that I'm drawn to that character, and then it's it's actually really disturbing to see him turn into a monster because I liked I, there's something I was drawn to about him, and then he turns into this other thing for so much of the movie. Um, so so I find his purging so gratifying to be like, oh, he's co- he's becoming again this empty thing, but at least it's this em- this empty thing that has the possibilities to be something good instead of this. Can this thing that is this embodiment of kind of greed and consuming? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll actually confess to being initially a little bit confused, Sam, and wondering if it really was the same character because I because I I, I couldn't quite understand, you know, what he what he was what he was going through, and I think that what that did for me is it creates the same kind of ambiguity that maybe she feels about Haku. Mm-hmm. It's like exactly. You know, so I thought he was a good guy, and now he's not being a good guy. So what exactly is going on? And of course, she has she never loses sight of him as the one that she initially let in. And so she has that faith that despite the way, here's another way in which you can kind of look at this as symbolic, despite the way he's acting out, despite the way he's, he's indulging in destructive behavior, there's something good inside him still, or there's something that's taken possession of him. That's, that's creating this behavior. You see the same thing with Haku because of the way he's been, he's been put under spell by Zanito, Zanito that, um, you know, he's not behaving the way he wants to behave because somebody has kind of taken possession of him, which makes it interesting to me that Chihiro, who of course becomes Sen, because Yubaba has taken her name, which is a very powerful way of exercising control over people, that she, maybe it's because she's human, that she's able to maintain, in a sense, more agency than anybody else who is under Yubaba's spell. Well, it's interesting. You've used the word agency a few times. One of the things that I loved about this this film is so. I mean, there's obviously we can't talk about all of this. If you haven't seen this movie, you have to just go watch it. Um, uh, there is this great moment where, through so much of the film, people are telling her what she needs to do. You know, she has to act on it, but they're they're like giving her the rules, giving her these things. You know, but then there is the moment when she brings. Um, sort of dragon haku i guess down to the um down to the boiler room and she gives him the other half of the vomit dumpling i don't know what that's called (laughs) right and 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 she she gets the 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 gold um zaniba's golden seal and she she squashes the black slug thing and then she decides to do something nobody told her to go to Mm. zaniba and make this right right that if she's acting with agency in other places, this is the moment when it's like she tears the story away from everybody else. And instead of she's in this place and stuff is happening to her and she needs to react or respond or figure things out. She just says like, I'm going to do this. It's not, um, it's not uh, Kamji who tells her to do it. It's not Lynn. It's not Haku. It's her saying, this seems like the right thing to do to yes. go return this and let her know that he didn't know what he was doing, you know, and, and taking it. Um, and that kind of blew me away because it's not, it's not like somebody told her, 
if you do this, you will get mm-hmm. the result you wanted. She's not, she's not thinking about, I need to get my parents back. Or I need right. to get back home at that point. She's just like, I have to make things right. And that's, and, that, and that's the one time when Miyazaki gets a little heavy handed with this theme, right? Because you get a couple different characters saying, you know, she's doing this out of love, um, which, you know, we didn't need to be told that, but I'm kind of glad we were because yeah. it just, re- it just reinforces that uh, love is really the force that's propelling her. Yeah. And you get the great scene where Lynn is taking her over in the boat. And as Lynn drops her off, I forget, she says something about, she apologizes for like, I'm sorry that I said you know, I, that you were lazy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's this moment where you realize the people in the bathhouse have never maybe seen somebody act this way that she's, she's sort of breaking the rules because it's, it's, it's not a, a hard and fast rule, but it's a, there are expectations about how, how beings act and react. And all of a sudden this girl is doing something outside of that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and and they're they're aware enough to realize and again so what makes her special it's the fact that she makes a decision like that right you know yeah. you know and and then then that that launches us into the kind of concluding act of the movie yeah well and again i i know i've said this several times now but i have to reinforce it it's miyazaki telling us behave like a decent human being that's all you got to do just be kind to people love people care for people <laughs> don't be greedy I mean, it's, 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 it's simple, but it's complex. And there we get that train ride and it's, I don't even know what to make of it. I don't know why I'm so moved by it. It's very quiet. It's, it's seeing this little girl. And I mean, so, so, so the, the crew we have on the train is this 10 year old girl, this enormous baby turned into a small mouse, this. <laughs> harpy thing turned into a mosquito fly bird kind of thing and then no face it, it, and they're sitting there and then there are just these other kind of wraith figures yeah. who are taking the train like their spirit commuter like it's it's unclear i, I love the way that it opens up a world that you're not going to get to see all of you don't i want to get off on every stop and see what's at every stop on that train ride but but all you're seeing is her taking what is this quiet, lonely trip? Not knowing entirely what she's going to encounter when she gets there. Because, I mean, uh, Zaniba sure seems pretty uh, malevolent mm-hmm. when she meets her. I mean, uh, in some ways, seems malevolent in comparison to Yubaba. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and, but, but she's nonetheless, she's doing it and going there. Um, and, uh, and then when they get off the, the, um, get off and you get the, um, the hopping lamppost. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which which reminds me of it something he brings back in Howl's, right? To get the the scarecrow. It reminds me of the scarecrow in Howl's Moving Castle, the next movie, right? That this well, just the way it moves. Yeah, right. Um, exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, and then that that sort of leads us into the conversation with um with with Zaniba. But there's something so haunting and moving about that train ride. Well, I think the train ride illustrates there's a the Japanese concept of ma. Uh, which means either it can be translated as stillness or Miyazaki uh, sometimes translates it as emptiness. And it's, it's when you just kind of let things slow down and you have, and you have moments of silence um, or quietness. I know that there, there's a moment in Princess Mononoke where things go so still that 
when the film was brought to America, the producers, uh, Harvey, Harvey Weinstein was the producer. He wanted to put some kind of music in there so the audience wouldn't think that, this, that something had gone wrong with the projection. So I think that that moment on the train is a moment of stillness, a moment of quietness. Uh, there's another one like that when uh, Haku uh, brings her the, the food uh, and, and she's eating the, 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 dumpling, the rice dumplings. Um, that, that's a very Miyazaki trademark, the idea that you don't have to fill the screen with a lot of action or a lot of noise all, all, all the time. You can have these moments of, of, of stillness. And, and that train journey is another, it's another liminal moment, like just going through the tunnel is a liminal moment. The train journey is another liminal moment. And so that's also appropriately enough, kind of a quiet moment. Well, there, Barrett, there's a thousand things more I could talk about with this movie, but I want to give you a chance. I have a couple things I want to say before we're done, but are there other things you want to talk about? Yeah, I, I just want to mention two things. One is um, I don't I don't think a lot about camera angles in animated films, although I should. Uh, so somebody brought to my attention that in those opening scenes when they're first exploring uh, the deserted village, the camera is actually at the at child's eye level. It's actually oh, sure. at, at about at about at about four feet, and so it's one of the ways in which the film kind of introduces us to Chihiro's um, point of view, literally. The other thing I want to say, which is just a kind of a general comment, Sam, and that is that, you know, we've been talking about a lot of themes. We've been talking about a lot of great moments in the film. But one thing I just want to say is this film is absolutely gorgeous to look at. And it's, and it's, you know, we've been drawing attention to heavy ideas, but it is incredibly entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, 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 it earns every minute of its two hours and five, two hours and five minutes run, running time. It's, uh, and it truly is a film that I think all, all, all kind of ages can enjoy, maybe in different ways. It's just, it's incredibly delightful. I don't know what else to say about it. Did, did you, uh, did you come across the quote for that Miyazaki said the originally when he had planned this out, he realized the movie was going to be about three hours. Yes, so, yes. so what he did was he cut out what he called the eye candy the stuff. <laughs> that's really beautiful. So like, we don't even get to see the stuff where he's just like, I'm just going to have visually fun with this. And it, you know, like, yeah, I, it's, it's a, it is a stunning movie. I don't, I, this is, yeah, it's, it's just amazing. Um, two things that, 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 that I guess I want to say before, uh, before I'm done. Um, I talk a lot. I think over the course of this series, I've, I've talked a lot about movies that um, how I love movies that make me want to make movies. Like that's one kind of art that I love is the kind of art that makes me want to make art. And then there's the kind of art that makes me not want to make art that makes yeah. me want to just stand in awe. And this is the latter, yeah. um, you know, where I, I was thinking about like uh, a movie like breathless. I watched that and I want to go grab a camera and make a movie. I watch this and I just want to be like a, human beings are capable of making something like this. Like I, I guess I, I, it seems, it seems like it is touched with something beyond human ability. I, I, I just don't under, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. So it, it, I can't, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm just deeply moved in that way. I mean, if you, if you freeze some of the frames and look at the detail, it is, it is astonishing. And except for a few, uh, a few computer effects, um, it's largely, it's almost exclusively hand-drawn. Um, and it's about 40% more cells than an average Disney feature. I mean, even, even the idea that Miyazaki would contemplate three hours worth of, of animation is, is astonishing to me. Right. Um. <laughs> okay. I want to, I want to close with, um, 
with one review of this film. And this is the thing that motivated me because I had heard about this movie for literally decades. This is the thing which motivated me to watch this in the fall. Um, and I, I referenced uh, the podcast blank check. This is where I learned about this review. So this is, I want to give them credit, although they didn't write it. They just told me about it. So this is from, uh, maybe you've read this. This is from Nigel Andrews, who is the, um, I think he's retired now, but was the film reviewer for the financial times for decades. Mm. Um, and he, when he would rank movies, he had a star system, you know, out of five stars. And uh, when you were, if in 2002, if you were to open up the Financial Times and look at this review, you would notice six stars at the top. <laughs> I, I want to read you just a few excerpts from what he says, because I think this touches on stuff that I feel and cannot and don't know how to say. So he opens by saying, yes, that's right. Six stars. Exception must be made for the exceptional. Spirited Away is a feast of wonderment, a movie classic, and a joy that will enrich your existence until you two are spirited away rush now while life lasts this is more than an animated feature it's the sound of genius breaking free in a troubled world as surely as alice in wonderland burst the bonds and bounds of victorian england proving that little girls who talked to caterpillars were wiser than monarchs and ministers who made empires miyazaki makes empires too but he doesn't trample over people he creates commonwealths of peace and nature and reconciliation with the riot of colorful conflict as prelude, since you cannot have good without progressing through the trials of evil. Miyazaki supplies a coda, really a whole last act, so ravishing and imaginative that Keatsianly we want to give up and expire on the spot. What is this film about? It's about 122 minutes and 2 billion years. It sums up all existence and gives us a mythology good for every society, amiable animal and human that ever lived. It fabulates every psycho-spiritual phenomenon from parent-child relationships to religion via love, hate, fear, hope, and the power of imagination as a transport system. I did not expect to love a movie more, but then again, maybe I shall. This director's art tells us that transcendence itself can be transcended. So when I heard that, I thought, well, anybody who, any movie that would make somebody write that, I need to see. <laughs> like, like, I don't even know who Nigel Andrews is other than he wrote film uh, wrote film reviews for a long time, but I'm like anybody who who would write that. I need to see what makes them say that. Well, you know, the BBC polled 177 critics in 2016 to rank the greatest films of the 21st century so far, and Spirited Away was number four. Wow, and that was all films. So, uh, animated film was number four on that list. So. That's that's amazing. But but all of I will say everything Andrew says here that ranking like it's it's fitting i like when i think about the great films i've ever seen the great experiences of taking in the art of film this is now there like this yeah. this this holds a spot there uh this is a, something i will continue to watch over and over so barrett we need to wrap this up but i, I do want to ask you before i ask about next week if somebody listening to this wanted wanted to watch another Miyazaki film, what would be your next recommendation after you've seen Spirited Away? I have to say two. I'm sorry. Okay. If you want, so, if you want something as, as it kind of does some of the things that Spirited Away does in a little more challenging way, I do Princess Mononoke. If you want something that's just going to charm the socks off you, My Neighbor Totoro. I just love that film. Fantastic. Yeah, I, that's I, I'm, I'm so excited to watch the rest of his movies now. Um, so what do you have for us for next week? Well, we're going to stick with animation for another week. And uh, on the day that this episode drops, it will be the last day of the um, uh, Tour de France. So I think that we should watch the triplets of Belleville. 
a wonderful animated film from France. Um, I think it was 1980-something. I didn't check carefully, but anyway, Triplets of Belleville. Oh, fantastic. This is another another one of those films that I've heard of but never seen. Very excited. Uh, can't wait. Well, Barrett, that is all the time we have. Thank you. I cannot thank you enough for, for having me watch this movie again for this conversation. And again, we could probably talk for another several hours if we wanted <laughs> and keep. And, and we didn't talk about Yubaba's three-headed assistant. Mm-hmm. That is literally just three heads that bounce around. Yes. Just all the weirdness of this movie is so great. So thank you so much for that. That is all the time that we have, but we will be back next week to talk about the triplets of Belleville in the video store. <laughs>